Welcome to Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice at Work podcast. Here we discuss industry trends and issues that affect retirement plan fiduciaries. My name is Ann Lapnow, Business Development Consultant for Francis Investment Council, and today we're going to be discussing the rising risk of cyber attacks on retirement plan assets. We have two guests joining us today from the Francis team, Mike Francis and Joe Topp. Um, to give you a little bit of background, Mike is the President and Chief Investment Officer here at Francis, and he is also an active client relationship manager. Um, that means he interacts directly with our plan sponsor clients on a regular basis. And with cyber threats on the rise, he has been at the table leading discussions of what can be done to minimize these threats. Uh, Joe Tapp serves as Vice President of Investment Consulting Services. He also leads our service provider evaluation efforts. This gives him a direct pulse on the industry and especially important insights into the plan participant experience. Thank you both for joining us today. We're so glad to have you. Happy to be here. Anne. Thanks, Anne. Uh, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about cybercrime, which sounds really scary, not something anyone would ever take lightly. Um, but what we want to understand is what is triggering this growing concern around cybersecurity, uh, specifically in employer-sponsored retirement plans. So, Mike, maybe you can get us started here. Um, tell us about why it is that retirement plan assets are such a prime target for cyber criminals. Well, I, I'll take a step back and you know, our organization has been helping plan sponsors with their 401k plan for over 30 years. And in that time, we have never seen what we have witnessed in the past nine months in terms of the unprecedented number of uh, attempted and some successful, unfortunately, cyber uh, thefts from participants by criminals posing um, uh, as them with their personal information. So it, it is a, um, a significant issue that has come to the surface um, really just of, of late. Mm -hmm. um, in our conversations with the industry and other record keepers, I th you know, one of the things that we found is, is uh, many are attributing this increase in activity to the um, Equifax hack that occurred about a year and a half ago, uh, uh, a hack in which apparently over 40 million uh, Americans had their personal financial information exposed. Uh, and for many, it was name, address, social security number, date of birth, I mean, the whole uh, enchilada. And as you know, that's the holy grail of, of information for uh, 401k plan participant. That's what you need to log into your account. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to identify yourself when you're talking to a, a representative uh, on the in the call center, mm -hmm. and uh, you know uh, possessing that information uh, really does uh, give you the keys to the kingdom. I think the other other uh, important point is unlike the uh, banking industry. Uh, 401k accounts are not protected by the same rules and federal regulation that protects your bank account. Um, and therefore, the, the primary security you have as a 401k participant is the agreement your plan uh, sponsor, your employer, has signed with the plan record-keeping organization. Um, and so it is uh, a crucial 
uh, we believe that uh, plan sponsors take the time at this moment in history to really understand uh, you know, the, the security protections they have in place. Sure. So there's a lot of different things sort of leading to this spike in criminal activity. Like you said, the breaches, kind of this idea that, you know, there's different regulations that apply here. Um, and we know this from what we're hearing in the industry at large. But we also know, as you said, we know this because of what clients are specifically telling us. And Joe, I know you're especially keeping a pulse on the experience that, is, that we've been hearing from clients. So could you tell us a little bit more about the specific threats that they've come across with their plans? Well, a couple of cases that specifically come to mind, <clears throat> excuse me, is having clients, participants, accounts breached. So we've had a um, CFO of an organization who had a loan initiation request. So the hacker had obtained all of the relevant information made repeated calls into the call center and had live conversations with the record keeper's personnel. All of those calls were subsequently reviewed by the client, by the plan sponsor. But um, as devious as the hackers were, the one mistake they made was they failed to change the address and the actual loan distribution was mailed to the participant's home, alerting him to the, to the fact that his account had been had been breached. Uh, we had another instance where a client's um, plan was attacked and the targets were participants that were distribution eligible. So they were maybe 59 and a half years old or older, possibly had been terminated or retired. And somehow this pool of folks' accounts had been identified and the hackers had begun to go in and begin to make changes to the security protocols to gain access to, to the accounts. Um, one particular account, probably a six-figure balance, um, the hackers initiated a distribution request and had earmarked it for a banking account through the ACH system. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the record keeper is in contact with the FBI and the account was on a list of accounts that were being utilized by hackers. So the, the transaction was rejected. Had that not happened, this participant's account, you know, six-figure account, would have been disappeared. Right, and, so that's um, a great catch. <laughs> you know, data suggests that 60 to 70% of money that is subject to this type of activity is never recovered. So, so you have some potentially fatal um, events take place with the single largest liquid asset of, of an individual is typically their retirement balance. I will, I'll chime in on that. When um, sitting in a client meeting a few months ago with uh, a larger organization and their record keeper, one of the largest record keepers in the industry, uh, we were talking about the uh, the increase in instances that we'd been coming across in our client, you know, relatively small client base, and and this national record keeper uh, chimed in that yes, um, they had seen a 300 percent increase in act in in fraudulent activity on their system in the last 12 months. Um, so it, it was definitely hitting their system. Um, in another meeting with another client with another a different. Uh, again, national, one of the largest in the nation, record keepers. Uh, the record keeping representative at that meeting uh, chimed in 
when asked, are you seeing, what are you seeing, um, that this organization claimed they were thwarting $90 million worth of attempted theft a month on their system. And that was, again, unprecedented. So uh, it is an issue. It's not getting a lot of press. We understand why the industry isn't real interested in, in making a lot of noise about this. Um, but we feel duty-bound to make sure our clients and, and folks we talk to are aware of the issue. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of money up for grabs in those situations just by the numbers that you're throwing out there. Um, I think it's really valuable to sort of hear those firsthand experiences from plan sponsors just from the standpoint of knowing what to look out for. Um, but I think the natural next question is, okay, what can we do about this? Is there really anything that we can do to guard against these threats? So, Mike, you were saying that you know, you've been in these client meetings and you're talking to our clients. Um, what are you telling them in terms of action steps um, that they can take to make sure that their retirement plans are properly protected? Um, that's a great question, Ann. Um, <laughs> what, we're, what we're telling our, our clients is... Uh, um, there, there's a, there's a multi-step process we're recommending. First step uh, is investigate your own internal um, procedures. Every plan is set up differently, and, and you need to ask yourself as a plan sponsor, uh, how difficult slash easy do we make it on participants, both current employees and former employees, to get money out of this plan? Uh, what are the the protocols for plan distributions. And we're not just talking retirees here. We're talking about, um, as Joe mentioned, uh, a loan provision. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking about um, um, a hardship provision. We're talking about some plans allow distributions of rolled-in accounts, so rollover accounts, etc. So all the different ways a participant theoretically can get money out of this plan, whether they're uh, over the age of 59 and a half or not, uh, need to be investigated. And you need to ask the question, how automated is this, is this process? Obviously, the larger the organization, the more automated it, it needs to be. But the more automated it is, the more safeguards you're going to need to put in place. Uh, for the smaller organization, um, many uh, organizations that, that we've talked to have decided to de-automate a number of these processes. In other words, uh, if you want to get money out for a hardship, you're now going to have to talk to somebody at HR, not just fill out a paper and fax it in or email it in. Um, there's going to be a human connection uh, involved. That's, that's an interesting um, point because five years ago when we went to market on behalf of a client looking for or to evaluate the record-keeping service providers, the tones of the questions and the drive was asking the record keepers to what extent can you automate the process and remove our personnel from involvement. Mm -hmm. And that, as Mike said, loans, distributions, enrollment process, just setting up your login identification and certifications. The goal was to automate that, take all of this work off of the hands of our internal folks. And now in light of the change in our environment, we're going to where Mike said that we're starting to recommend to clients that you need to have an intervention where there is some personal interaction and verification of identities, change requests, 
that that sort of thing. Right. So kind of taking on that burden just for the sake of having right. that extra layer of security. Right. But again, it, it really depends on the organization. The bigger the organization, uh, the more automation you know you need. And so, um, step two, really, after you identify the the, uh, the the processes that you have in place, step two really is to reach out to your service provider and ask them, um, you know, point blank, do we have all the security safeguards in place that you make available on your system? Are there any other you know, flips we can, uh, switches we can flip or uh, protocols we can uh, engage to add levels of, of security. And needless to say, the industry is working feverishly as we speak to add different types of uh, protections to their systems, um, and some of which you might not know about. And so uh, we, we, we would suggest, uh, number one, you, you ask uh, your provider what it is that you know, they have available. And secondly, we think it's a good idea to ask for a letter from your provider if you have implemented all the systems and protocols that they make available. Ask for a letter that um, uh, that verifies that or confirms that. That's a really good um, document to have in a file that if anybody comes after asking after that, you know, you know how did you let this happen? You have something to show that no, we were, you know, we were actively looking uh, to, to shore up our defenses and talking to our record keepers, and, and here's, here's proof right, of that. Right, it's a way of demonstrating the due diligence that, that they went through. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So another thing that you had mentioned earlier, Mike, is that you know these retirement plan assets are different than assets that you'd have, say, in a, a bank or a savings account because there's different legal protections tied or, you know, there, there really aren't <laughs> specific legal protections tied to them. So another thing that, you know, these plan sponsors are probably going to look at are their agreements with their service providers. But what parts of the agreement um, are areas that plan sponsors should really pay attention to? Sure. Uh, you know, that, that's so important because these service agreements, um, you know, they're written by lawyers for lawyers. And they are um, speaking as a, a lawyer. <laughs> speaking as a lawyer, right? Um, and and what what you'll find, and what we have found as we've evaluated different agreements from different record keepers, uh, is is it boils down to um, the record keeping or industry is saying, look, we're going to initiate and put forward various protocols uh, to secure and safeguard these assets, if a hacker is able to uh, break all of these protocols, you know, essentially because they've got all your information, mm-hmm. um, we're not going to be liable for um, the, you know, the end result potentially, right? So um, unlike a bank who doesn't have a choice, if somebody right. illegally hacks your bank account, they got to put the money back. Not the case with 401k Accounts, which so, I think would raise some eyebrows. I think people probably think they have right better Same. protections through those agreements. Right. So, so um, we suggest um, again, as you're talking to your record keeper, at, to ask point blank and get the answer in writing. Under what circumstances, if a participant's account were to be hacked, under what circumstances would you not make that participant whole? 
have a very frank discussion and conversation with your record keeper so you understand uh, what they're looking for and how to how to prevent it. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you can sort of have all these conversations, and this is sort of looking at it from the proactive perspective, but what happens worst case scenario? Is there any... Is there any insurance coverage or anything to that effect that plan sponsors could, you know, lean on in the event that, again, worst case scenario, they've tried to check all their boxes, but cyber attack happens, there's some sort of breach. Is there anything that they can go back to? Sure. Yeah. No, no question. Your record keepers have a ton of insurance uh, protecting them. But again, their agreements are their best protection. And again, their agreements are going to say, Hey, if we do, if we follow all the protocols we've promised, and they break through anyways because they've got your data, their insurance isn't going to pay. Their their insurance isn't going to cover right. you. So that's a question of okay, we've got a participant who's out, you know, hundred thousand uh, dollars. They want their money. Um, who's gonna Who's gonna put it back? Um, there's an argument to be made that the record keeper should do it as a, a good service provider. Uh, but depending on how big the plan is and depending on how big the client is, they may or may not. So that then turns to the employer or the plant sponsor's insure, insurance coverage. And we, we would recommend all plant sponsors reach out to their um, DNO insurance carrier and ask, um, you know, does our current policies cover us? This really isn't a cyber insurance policy issue typically. Um, because those are really more involved with stealing data uh, and interrupting uh, um, you know, systems. This is, this is really kind of plain old-fashioned theft. Somebody walked into the front door of your uh, uh, corporation and put a you know, gun to the receptionist and said, give me all your money. Um, you know, would some insurance policy you carry cover that, the loss that that receptionist just uh, incurred. So question for your, your DNO insurance provider, um, you know, specific to your retirement plan, and we'd suggest everybody pick up a phone and call and ask that question. Makes a lot of sense. You don't really think about it in that um, blunt of terms at times in terms of it being a theft, but that, that's really what it is. These, yep. This is real money and people work hard to, to save that money. Yep. Um, it, you know, we do a lot in terms of, you know, communicating with retirement plan participants on the financial education side of our business. Um, what are you telling sponsors that they can do in terms of, you know, that side of the world? How can you sort of communicate these dangers to plan participants? That's, um, that's an important part of the sponsor's responsibility. And it's, <clears throat> I think, an important protection that they can afford is, first of all, educate your participants on the dangers and the risks and provide them some of the simple, basic safeguards that they can be and should be responsible for doing. Um, In helping a client evaluate the online accessibility of their account, we found in a small sample, one client had 43% of their participants were still using their social security number as their um, login ID. And um, not as their password, but as their login ID, which is always visible when you you go and access your account. Um, And as Mike talked about, 
The record keepers may not want to take responsibility for a breach. The plan sponsor may not want to take responsibility for the breach. Oftentimes it may come down to was the participant negligent in the handling of their security and their access information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, education and being aware of just basic phishing scams, how you conduct yourself on your personal electronic devices, your phone, your, your home computer system. Develop a strong, unique password and actually access your account with your retirement plan provider and make sure that you've changed that default login identification information to a unique and a strong password. And then we'd recommend that you regularly change that password, as burdensome and, and cumbersome as that may be, at least annually, you should go in and consider changing that password. Due to the size and the, the magnitude of your assets, you probably want your 401k account password to be dedicated purely to that. Don't share that with your banking password, with your credit card password, with your auto loan repayment passwords. Um, obviously, don't share, share those passwords and login information with anyone, even trusted advisors, your financial advisor, your accountant, or your lawyer. Probably shouldn't share that information. That can be an easy loophole, I think, for, for service providers to sort of, I guess you could say, cop out if, if there is a breach, if there's, you know, if there's discovery that a participant has disclosed this information yeah. to any of those parties. That's an easy way to show, well, maybe they're off the hook. Yep, no doubt. And, and then finally, I think um, participants should consider a password management system. There, there's online electronic services that are available to help you manage all of your household passwords. And then it allows you to change those passwords with some regularity and to add a sophistication level to your password convention that most of us typically, typically don't do. Um, and that password management system, you know, there's a host of providers that are out there and available, and many of them have, have some pretty intense and in-depth protocols to keep your data secure. As we mentioned, though, you know, bottom line is that, you know, the, the assets in these accounts belong to the participants themselves. These accounts are their personal responsibility. I know that something that we've talked about just in our own conversations is just the role, though, that, you know, even participant apathy can play in all this, whether people aren't changing from their default or whatever it might be. But there are people going and change their password right away, but then never look at their account again. Um, so I guess what are some steps that participants can take, you know, just to make sure that they're still engaging in their account on a regular basis? You know, you get a statement, but what can we do to kind of make sure, I'm not driving at the right point here, but what can we do to make sure that, that participants are regularly engaged so that this apathy isn't what leads to, to cybercrime? Well, it's a vicious circle because in, in the day when every quarter you could count on a big envelope coming in the mail that had your, your 401k account information on it, we have now automated it so that it's de delivered electronically and everything else is being delivered electronically and, and many people quite frankly don't, don't access their account, don't look at their statements. Um, that same client that we were helping evaluate their, their online accessibility, almost 40% of their participants haven't logged into their account in, in over a year. Um, simply go into your account on a regular basis, 
couple times a year would be sufficient and just accessing it, reviewing the balances, reviewing any kind of transactions that have taken place. Distributions certainly should cause some alarm. And also check in your browser to make sure that any email conventions from your record keeper are set up as, you know, acceptable emails and they're not getting dumped into your to your spam or your junk your junk folder because now as the record keeping industry gets a little more sophisticated and this dual authentication kicks in, you oftentimes need to have a second source code which is provided directly upon your trying to access your account. Are there any other you mentioned dual factor authentication? Are there any other I guess we call more advanced security measures that you guys are seeing, especially from record keepers, sort of catching on in light of this rising threat of cyber attacks. Well, big push, big push by the record keepers towards voice recognition. So their call center has voice recognition that will help, you know, provide an additional layer of authentication for somebody calling in, requesting any kind of an account change or transaction. Um, we know of. Uh, record keepers that has um, what is it an account, account lock. lock function that they have issued if you register it's uh, it, it, it's required that you opt into the service and upon opting in they issue you a numeric code that must be used in the future for any form of distributable event so it's issued one time a numeric code that would be in addition to all of the other access point um, defenses that you've seen. The, the key point here is that you know, both of those services and our opt-in services, sure. the lock, the account lock service, the voice uh, voice verification uh, uh, software, those are both opt-in services and 90 plus percent of participants aren't even aware such a thing exists. So it all comes back to participant uh, communication, participant education. People, A, need to know about the issue. They need to know uh, about the risk that's out there. Mm -hmm. And then they need to know what they can do to best protect themselves. And in, in this circumstance where their record keeper has these opt-in uh, services and features, uh, our experience is the vast majority of participants are interested in opting in, mm -hmm. but the vast majority of them aren't, aren't aware they exist. So uh, it's a communication, um, really responsibility, we think. So that is an important step in this process that we're talking about um, to you know, really safeguard uh, retirement plan assets is uh, to, to raise your game in, uh, in the participant uh, communication area. And arguably, that goes back all the way to the plan sponsor themselves, too. As we said, if you're not having those conversations with your service providers, it might not only be that the plan participant isn't aware that these additional safeguards could be in place, but the plan sponsor themselves Correct. isn't aware either. Correct. Anything else? I'm just going to talk freely here. Um, I think we've hit most of the points that I have outlined. Anything that you guys feel like you know, looking over your notes that we need to queue up discussion-wise before we wrap up. No, I, I mean, I think we hit a lot of it. The proactivity on the plan sponsor's part to drive communication both with their service provider as well as with their participants so that they can constantly stay abreast of what new developments and techniques or tools 
the sponsor has and the record keeper is, is providing. And then the participants are aware of it and they can access and invoke some of these safeguards and, and some of these tools. We covered cybersecurity from the angle here of planned fiduciaries and even one as far as retirement plan participants. Um, I think one of the common themes here, though, to take away is that this is a blind spot for both. Um, these threats aren't necessarily uh, being proactively addressed, and that can mean trouble for plan sponsors and participants alike. Um, so our encouragement really to listeners is to be sure that you have an expert on your side to help you be aware of the risks that are out there initially, but also take the pre necessary precautions to combat them as they change. Um, you know, we really feel like if you're not already having these conversations, it's something that you should be doing. Um, that wraps up this episode of Francis Investment Council's Fiduciary Advice at Work podcast. Uh, for more information, please visit our website, francisinvco.com. Thank you so much for listening and join us again soon as we continue to discuss industry trends and issues that affect retirement plan fiduciaries.